I know how this is going to sound, but my ability to find individual flaws in the way I look is so diminished by people finding flaws in my personality that I just like... (laughs) It's like my Twitter, former Twitter bio. I'm a butter personality. (laughs) Like, I just like... The reason my whole life people have not liked me is not been because of how I looked. That is extremely secondary. (laughs) Because of who I am. So my ability to find flaws with how I look... That's lovely. That's pretty privileged. That's really funny. There's nothing wrong with my ears. Sometimes I look like elf ears in the mirror, and that's sort of my greatest self-actualization moment. Don't skip your day. Don't skip ear. Never skip your day. reason that I started Supernatural Mm -hmm. the television yes the television show Supernatural 2007 Mm -hmm. to 2020 is because there when I googled time loops like ghost time loops which is the theme of today's episode hi this is the Mm -hmm. phenomena podcast my name is Augusta hi my name is Eva the reason is because I when I googled it I saw that the first link was supernatural ghost time lore are ghosts stuck in never-ending loops in season two, episode 16, the series introduces the idea of ghost loops for the first time. And I was like, oh no, a reason to watch TV for research purposes. And since then, that was about <laughs> a week and a half ago. I, yeah, I have seen two and a half seasons. So thank you to that. everybody at home funding this research project. <laughs> yes, thank you for our one AdSense that we've made since starting this podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you to everyone who's behind the, page, the Patreon paywall, which is to say our friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say when Hannah over buys, the years. yeah exactly <laughs> when hannah buys absolute because i forgot that they only take cash <laughs> yeah literally exactly <laughs> so in that episode of supernatural basically what happens is supernatural is a show about ghost hunters if you're a fan of the show you'll know that or if you're a person who listens to this podcast you probably know that but yeah. it's a show about two guys who hunt ghosts and monsters and they come across a woman who has her car is wrecked by the side of the road. She can't find her fiance who she wrecked with. She's running around the woods looking for him and she's being chased by like a creepy farmer guy. And they spend the whole episode working with her to try and find the creepy farmer guy and basically kill him. He's a ghost, but like deal with his remains so that he'll be put at rest. But the whole time they're kind of gently explaining to her like, yeah, some spirits, you know, they're stuck on earth because they have unfinished business. And, you know, some spirits, like, they're not ready to let go and they don't even know they're ghosts and they come back once a year. And she's like, oh, that's so sad. And they're like, uh huh. Mm. And then the end of the episode, they're like, surprise, bitch, you're a ghost too. Which is like, you know, the spooky reveal. But basically. Da, da, da. <laughs> You've been a ghost the whole time. Bruce Willis was a ghost the whole time. I mean, in a way, that's what we're all hoping for of our lives, that we've been a ghost the whole time. But basically, (laughs) she's a ghost. They, like, free her. They release her, whatever. Oh, honey, if I have been a ghost, then how do I keep gaining all this weight? Go on. (laughs) 
And then I said, baby, the weight just falls right off at sunrise, along with the rest of my body. <laughs> I'm Pirates of the Caribbean style, just eating through my body. <laughs> yes, that's right. We are at 20 minutes and 42 seconds, and I have managed to squeeze in a Pirates of the Caribbean reference. Anyway, so basically that's like the very base, that's like the most TV version of what we're discussing this episode, which is ghost loops. So that's yes. the idea of a ghost being caught in a temporal loop. But we're expanding it to talk about metaphysics and place theory and parapsychology mm-hmm. and stone tapes. Did you say stone tapes on purpose or am I just getting a sibilance through the audio? It was neither you getting a sibilance nor me saying it on purpose. <laughs> okay, no worries. <laughs> it was it was simply my tongue getting lazy because it's 7 a.m. Yeah, that's fair. Wow, your tongue quits early, huh? Your tongue works the night shift. I don't know what that means. Um, What's funny, speaking of the night shift, so we're re-recording this episode because we did record it once um, while there was an actual jackhammer outside my window (laughs) and the audio was 100% ruined. Um, But, you know, we've never gotten a chance to re-record an episode, so this will be interesting. Um, And it's actually kind of nice because last night while I was falling asleep, I experienced something that could be used as an example to illustrate the wraparound universe theory. We should introduce that concept. Great. So, yeah, let's open with a a few (laughs) vocab terms uh, to talk about these things. Um, And also my usual disclaimer, as always, that I don't believe in science, but sometimes it's helpful to understand things from a variety of perspectives, including ones that I don't personally believe in. I really look forward to them using that in the anti-vax lawsuit against you. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, The wraparound universe theory uh, hinges on a few terms. One of them is the idea, um, the differential between physical space and mathematical space. So a physical space is something that you can experience and be a part of and be inside of. you know, and you're seeing it and you're feeling it, hearing it, smelling it, tasting it, touching it, all the other ways in which you experience the world. Whereas a mathematical space is um, a space that's conceptual um, and is used to sort of express the idea of um, a space or a place in relation to another space or place. So like the distance between two points is a mathematical space, whereas the distance between 137th Street and 245th Street is a physical place and kind of a mathematical space when you talk about it um, in the context of what's happening in the universe, you know? And when you Um, wake up there after a night out and you don't remember where you are, how to get home and you don't have your keys, that's a physical space, not a mathematical space. (laughs) Exactly. That's a physical space, not a mathematical space. Um, But when you're telling your friends about how you looked it up on Google Maps and you're 2.1 miles from home, that's a mathematical space, right? (laughs) Because you're theorizing about the experience of the space, not experiencing the space. And boy, do you Um, have theories. Boy, do you have theories. (laughs) Was there other terms? No, I think that's good. But I think we should get into why we're going to explain the wraparound universe theory, because it's pretty complicated and interesting. But basically, this is my understanding of it based on how you explained it last episode. It seems like the reason to understand the wraparound universe theory is because it's a way of understanding the possible 
scientific explanation for why there may be such a thing as time loops or as place yes. like is that right yes it's a way to it's a way in which some people explain away the experience of going through a time loop or the experience of um the experience of experiencing is so dumb but like the phenomenon of experiencing a ghost echo or a time loop um if you're somebody who doesn't believe in the paranormal um or you don't believe in the supernatural this might be a way that you would explain how someone could experience something that feels supernatural mm, and, um, the re- and the an example of that would be like so a time loop so besides the supernatural when we talked about like in episode two, we talked about when we went on ghost tours, we mm-hmm. talked about the ghost of Emma Lazarus, who was a person who died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, like a terrible lung disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and she died, like basically choking to death in her own blood. Very, very sad, very, very upsetting. And then mm-hmm. somebody who bought the house that she lived in. And then a woman, the woman who like lived there many years after her and didn't know much about her was sleeping Mm -hmm. in that room and she started to get a really bad cough and was like waking herself up coughing. And eventually she woke up and she found herself like coughing up blood the same way Emma Lazarus had. And when her husband called the paramedics, the paramedics picked her up and tried to carry her outside. And as soon as they crossed the threshold, all the illness went away. Right. And she was totally fine again. So that's an example of some, some form of time loop, right. Or of like a ghost Mm -hmm. loop or a a place theory. And the mm-hmm. explanation for that in terms of physical or experiential versus mathematical space, what do you think that would be? So the experience of that reoccurring, well, I guess this is when I have to start explaining the wraparound universe theory. Um, so the wraparound universe theory is the idea that the universe is shaped kind of like a donut. So the way they tell you to imagine it when you're first learning about it is like, if you take a piece of paper and you roll it into a cylinder where the long ends meet, and then you take the open ends and you curve those around to meet as well. Um, And the reason it's uh, more helpful to think about it like that rather than a donut is because the idea is that... um, it's not like a solid object that you're sitting on the surface of or that you're inside of like a donut. (laughs) It's more (laughs) like a piece of paper in a donut shape (laughs) in that there is the singular plane of, there's a singular plane and it's in the shape of a donut. I don't know how I'm going to get away from saying donut, but I, 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 you know what? You know what? I actually ate a muffin for breakfast today. It's a wrapped cylinder. It's that you're moving along surfaces, right? I think yes. that's what I didn't understand last time. It's that there are multiple directional planes, but it's not a, no. like a liquid that you move through. The inside of the donut is not what you move through. What you move through is the circular paper along the edges. Yes, which is one single plane. Right. It's one single plane which touches it, which touches itself. <laughs> it's one continuous <sighs> plane in the shape of a donut. I don't So the thing I forgot to mention before you fold the paper into this closed cylinder shape is that you're supposed to draw two dots on it. And then you can understand that those two dots um, perceive each other from a variety of 
directions. So, you know, they can perceive each other the closest distance or wrapping around the other way or going all the way around the circle. There's a lot of ways in which you can make either a straight or a curved line that follows the shape of the universe um, between the two points. And you can imagine that line as sort of the experience of perception. So can I give an example? Can I hop in? Yes. So like if you imagine an actual donut, if you've got two sprinkles on opposite sides, you can travel from sprinkle to sprinkle along the frosting. You can travel Mm -hmm. along the donut part around Mm -hmm. one of the rings. You can travel through the dough itself and like mm-hmm. pass through that way, right? Is that what we're imagining with the two dots? Yes, yes. Okay, great, thank you. So you could end up with this like crisscross of potential paths of perception. And then if you combine the idea of the various paths of perception that are possible with the so-called facts of the universe <laughs> and laws of <laughs> physics, Um, which state that light travels at a certain speed in a vacuum and sound travels at a certain speed, um, you can imagine or calculate how there might be delays in the experience. So you might experience the first path of perception, uh, you might experience the first path of perception at moment A, and then... 10 years later, the second path of perception is completed or however you want to think of it. Um, The light or sound or smell travels finally across that distance, which is greater than the shortest path of perception. Um, And then you would experience or perceive that other point again. So the idea of a, the way in which this explains away the paranormal phenomenon of echoes and time loops is it's just a path of perception that is much longer and thus has taken longer to effect on, so the verb effect on that mathematical space of the second point. So in the case of Emma Lazarus, um, her dying for quote unquote, for real, the first time, the true time when she died, um, is a sprinkle. And (laughs) as the sort of, uh, perception as the feeling, the experience of death, um, travels along these various paths of perception through the donut, around the donut, across the frosting, through the dough, um, you can be in the mathematical space of the second sprinkle and experience her death again or over and over and over again as it completes these paths of perception. Now, here's a question, and this perhaps shows my incomplete understanding of what the actual conceptual model really entails, but the idea is not that when Emma Lazarus has her physical body death, that then her soul goes to a different place and that's another point and that point is now transmitting information. It's not that idea, right? No. It's not that literally she moves spiritually to a different space and now she's projecting from heaven. It's literally no. that when you are experiencing a physical space, you're putting out what, like experiential data, like your your image and your body and the way you look and who you are, that's being 
that's moving in within the space on multiple planes and that when you die maybe all that information is not done traveling is that the idea Almost. So there's not multiple planes. There's just the singular plane of the universe. I mean, obviously there's three dimensions, four dimensions if you include time. Um, There's three dimensions in the universe, but the universe, the construction of it is a single plane. The idea is you have to also factor in the quote unquote fact of um, that galaxies, planets uh, are constantly moving and expanding. So as death occurs in a physical space, that physical space in reality is hurtling through the universe at however fast the earth moves. I don't know. Um, <laughs> me making fun of science and then not knowing how fast the earth moves. Like 2025. Yeah, like 2025, the Earth gets pulled over for a speeding ticket. You're in a school um, zone. (laughs) Because there's all these moving parts, the mathematical point of her death is sort of left behind in space. And the experience is still coming from that mathematical space. Okay, I get it. So it's still, it's traveling on these paths of perception. And the paths are sort of elongating and stretching as all of the pieces move through space which is part of what creates that significant delay like how you know we did talk about this the first time we recorded it we uh a, one of the ways in which the rapper and universe theory is most commonly applied is to talk about stars and galaxies we all have heard the thing where it's like oh some of the stars in the sky that you're looking at don't even exist anymore because the light is traveling billions of light years from those stars but actually those stars have already supernova or extinguished or whatever all the other things uh do death the death Gone of stars bed. Yeah, gone to bed, clocked out, like, you know what I mean? Moved back to their uh, hometown. Ran out of battery. Yeah, moved back to their hometown. Um, went on a semester abroad. Yeah, so those stars, <laughs> those stars have clocked out. Um, but you can still see them because you are still experiencing, um, you know, the the light that's traveling along that path of perception, um, even though it that star has extinguished. Right. So the wraparound universe theory um, posits that in reality, there are not, or the stars that we're seeing in the sky are not billions of stars, but instead um, a fraction of billions of stars that we're seeing multiple times in what appear to be different spaces, but in reality are all in the same mathematical space. And we're perceiving them along these different paths of perceptions. And thus they, uh, they're like staggered. They don't seem to be in the same space, even though they really are. That's fascinating. I didn't understand that aspect last time. That's absolutely fascinating. It's super interesting. The way that I experienced it last night was I accidentally put my phone under my pillow and then I could hear it ringing through the pillow and also in my room. And I was like, whoa, the rings are slightly delayed. It's the fucking wraparound universe. No, no, a more like day to day um, experience of it is if you've ever crossed a crosswalk and you start to hear the beeping coming from both sides of the crosswalk, It's a little like that experience. Of course, those are two different points that are projecting the same sound, but it's a similar experience of hearing the sound like slightly staggered because it's coming from two different places. Right. Um, And in this case, it's coming from one place, but it's coming 
uh, one of them is going all the way backwards around the universe and the other one is coming the shortest distance. But it feels that way of like, oh, like I can kind of, you know, when you can kind of hear yourself through the other person's line on the phone, on speakerphone, and you're like, oh, that's weird. So a competing theory for the idea of time loops, and I'm not entirely sure based on your current explanation that it is competing, but a more, a less big brained theory and a more supernaturally rooted on earth, current laws of physics rooted theory is called place memory, which I read about in the Australian Journal of Parapsychology. And essentially what the concept of place theory posits is that the environment itself is storing the information. So instead of a ghost or what you might experience as a ghost being the projected energy or vision or whatever of a person moving through the universe in a complicated direction and then returning after a certain period of time, it's that when a person... I'm going to read some of it. In recent years, it has been generally accepted that it is the living, not the dead, that appears somehow to be involved in the creation of place memory. Heath, 2004, recently proposed that it might aid our understanding of the phenomenon to consider the possibility that there may be two ways by which place memory is created, one active through psychokinesis and the other passive, occurring more often with proximity, recency, and frequency of repetition. The theory is discussed that resonance might be the mechanism of action for the creation of passive place memory. Furthermore, recent advances in physics would suggest this information, regardless of its method of creation, may not require any special psi field, but could be stored via the configuration of the atomic electron cloud and the geometric structures of molecules, including water. So I'm not entirely sure about the physics aspect of that, but the question of psychokinesis versus passive memory, basically psychokinesis is being able to influence a physical system without touching it so like imagine someone bending a spoon with their mind Mm -hmm. right telekinesis is like you can move through a system without physical interaction and psychokinesis i mean they're basically the same thing um was there did i understand correctly last time we spoke that psychokinesis could be accidental yes okay Yes, and uh, often in, I mean, this is definitely a trope in narrative about psychokinesis, Mm -hmm. but the, the trope is that you discover it by accident and there are terrible consequences for your intense power. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been really hard to prove in the uppercase S scientific way, but essentially Mm -hmm. it's like you can move things with your mind. Um, And Moreover, I think the the deeper understanding that allows us that would relate to place memory is the idea that if you can move things with your mind, what you're doing is you're influencing the environment mentally. So mm-hmm. your your internal world, your mental processing and your personality and who you are as a person is able to project beyond the borders of your physical self into the space. Mm-hmm. And that that can create an echo or an impression of yourself that remains in the place after your physical body is gone. So if Mm. what's inside can influence the environment, the environment remains influenced and in fact then retains essentially a copy of you Mm -hmm. that moves on throughout your death uh, or past your death. And then 
the passive theory of place memory that is basically that you create a ghost by just being somewhere a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. this is it's like, like an incident creating a photograph versus a repetitive motion creating like a rut in the road. Right. It's like a Hachiko. Like you show up to the same train station every day to wait for your master. Then your ghost shows up there anyway, because it, mm-hmm. it's essentially the ghost theory of Alzheimer's that when everything mm-hmm. else goes, what you remember is what you did every day. And so mm-hmm. that's where your spirit continues to go. Um, so that's a competing like theory of place memory. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then a related theory that works on the same principle is called the stone tape theory, which is mm-hmm. basically the idea that ghosts and hauntings are, they're like tape recordings. So this is the same concept that something is stored on a space This is the same as place memory in that way. Mm -hmm. But in the stone tape theory, what creates the impressions and what makes them stick is that they're traumatic or emotional or heightened Mm -hmm. and that it's the emotion itself, not any form of psychic power or repetition that imprints them onto the environment. Mm -hmm. Um, This was popularized by a 1972 Christmas ghost story called The Stone Tape, produced by the BBC. Mm -hmm. But it was created in the 19th century. Um, Honestly, Christmas movies have done so much for the theory of ghosts. They truly have. The lore of ghosts. I guess we should have done a Christmas episode this year. (laughs) But um, we'll do it in July. Yeah, literally. Um, And both of those would be classed, I think, under the concept of a residual haunting, right? Yes. I think last time we made the distinction between, we talked about, or distinction is a word that I use a lot, even though I wish that I had a better word to use. The nuance, the subtleties (laughs) between, um, the subtleties between, uh, residual hauntings, echoes, place memories. Right. Let's go through that again. Yeah, so a residual haunting, if you imagine as sort of one of those triangle charts, um, like when you're leveling up a character, (laughs) and uh, you've got residual hauntings in one corner, you've got place memories in another corner, and you've got echoes in the third corner. Agreed. So echoes describes more the experience of encountering it. So an echo refers to a ghost phenomenon that the living perceive as repeating and it's the same or nearly the same every time. It's like the tape recorder, right? Yes. And there's not really a way to interact with that, um, with the the entity or spirit or social actor that the echo is of um but distinctly the echo is of a social actor whereas residual hauntings now if we go down the triangle um residual hauntings also applies to something where there is a distinct social actor and the distinct social actor created that phenomenon in the same way as echoes however a residual haunting has 
more capability to be changed and not as exact, um, not repeat necessarily in the same frequency, regularity, and and um, it's not just exactly the same. It's not just a repetition. It, it could be interacted with. It could be changed. It could even maybe be dispersed if there was some way to resolve the phenomenon that created it. So then the last corner of the triangle is the place memories. And the place memories is distinct from the other two, most significantly in that the residual memory, the social actor or the spirit or the entity is not that of the being, is not that of the being that you're necessarily experiencing when you witness or experience a, a place memory type of haunting, the sort of energy source or the origin of that phenomenon is the place. So the place, as you described, is holding this energy um, or this uh, this potential for phenomenon, this experience, um, and either projecting it or in some other way affecting it in the space around it, but it is not an individual entity in itself. Right. And important to note here is that with a residual, and I think with an echo, but certainly with a residual, there is no consciousness there. So in -hmm. other types of haunting, so like in what you might call a poltergeist haunting or a demonic haunting, which are other, you know, really common, like if there's a demon, if there's something evil, if there's an angel, if there's, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a poltergeist, which is like a noisy spirit, an ancient spirit, or if even it's just like a classic straight up intelligent haunting, it's Mm -hmm. not, that's different from a residual haunting or from an echo. So Mm -hmm. if you set up an EVP or if you set up what are called trigger objects, which are objects that can begin the haunting or make it happen, like if it's a little girl who's giggling and scaring you and you put out toys for her, that won't work with a residual haunting or with an echo because there's no Mm -hmm. consciousness to acknowledge what's happening. The Mm -hmm. actors that you see are no longer present. It is Mm -hmm. akin to a tape recording in that way in Mm -hmm. that you may shout at the TV, but the TV does not hear you. This very much so. This exists on your temporality because you're experiencing it. But Mm -hmm. those things whatever you saw there is not in there anymore. Mm -hmm. They're not experiencing you in any way. Right. And it's possible that whatever mechanism is caught, this is why it's important to determine mechanism. This is why I was going over psychokinesis and why we're talking about, uh, you know, different theories of the universe, because Mm -hmm. the ways that you are able to disperse these are very different from with intelligent ghosts, Mm -hmm. because you are trying to pinpoint the source of the haunting and it's not the, what you might consider ghosts themselves. It's Mm -hmm. maybe in the water or in the air or in the way that the universe flows physically, but you can't make contact with those ghosts. You have to, you know, tear the house down or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we've described how you would be a person living in Emma Lazarus's apartment and then experience the new path of person... And then experience a path of perception that causes you to experience her death in the wraparound universe theory. Could you take some time to describe that experience 
in the context of being an echo or a, a, a ghostly time loop. Totally. So I think the place memory theory, which is the one that I was drawing from the parapsychology journal, place theory would assume that Emma Lazarus had some form of psychic ability in her life or that this room was where she spent so much time that the room essentially remembers her. So Mm -hmm. place memory can be tied to the rock and the ground, but generally it's more tied to the, what you might call human space, like the room or the house or the home. And because Mm -hmm. this was her home and it's been renovated, but not torn down and rebuilt, the original materials remain. I think in a place memory theory of Emma Lazarus, the place itself is what's holding her. So the reason that this woman Mm -hmm. who lives in the house is experiencing her death again is because she's probably sleeping in the same room where Emma Lazarus died and the room remembers. It's not that Emma Mm -hmm. remembers and she's still there. Mm -hmm. And it's not that she's experiencing a version of her that still exists. It's that the room itself holds a strong psychic tension or a strong psychic memory. And the Mm -hmm. room replays that when it finds people who, I mean, it's hard to say, does it, is it because it finds people who are fitting? Is it because something triggers it? That is very hotly debated within the parapsychology community. As, mm-hmm. as I heard, some people think that it's stored in electron clouds and molecule structures and water. I mean, I don't, I, it's truly beyond my pay grade, but essentially, <laughs> which is $0, <laughs> which is, which is, I'm paying to do this, yeah. but <laughs> you pay me a $50 appearance fee every time. Yeah, exactly. And I only eat green M&Ms. Okay. And um, so that's, that's sort of the place memory idea of it is that the room remembers. However, I think more compelling would be the residual haunting. So a, a place memory can be considered a form of residual haunting, but it's a specific type. A residual mm-hmm. haunting is more akin to an echo. I think residual hauntings and echoes are very similar in this way. Yeah. And residual hauntings are generally because something traumatic happened at the location. Mm-hmm. And that seems more akin to the Emma Lazarus story, specifically because the part of her life that is being played out is mm-hmm. the most traumatic part. It's her death. It's her violent, yes, yes. untimely death. So it's not like <laughs> this woman is not, I mean, in a way she is experiencing the place, the you know place memory because she's, spends a long time coughing. So in that way, you're like, this is where Emma Lazarus was every night. So it's the residual mm-hmm. effect of her sleeping there over and over and over again that imprints on the room. But more mm-hmm. specifically, it's the trauma that happened of her coughing up blood until she died. Horrible, horrible, terrible way to go. Mm-hmm. That is what sticks, right? That is mm-hmm. what is playing over and over again. And the reason this woman is trapped in Emma Lazarus's experience of it is because the room is also in some ways trapped in Emma Lazarus's experience of it and maybe Mm. she resembles Emma in some way or maybe she triggers it in some way with something that she's done or maybe it's just this room replays this over and over again on a certain time scale that is not intelligible to us Mm -hmm. you know and that's what's happening but it's not because she's done something to deserve it or because she has negatively influenced the room and it's not like Emma Lazarus is haunting her right? There's no intelligence Mm -hmm. behind this experience. It's literally the room itself holds the memory of a ghost. I mean, we were talking last time we recorded about smells and how smells are analogous to this. Mm -hmm. Like when you walk into a room and there's trash in there and the trash gets taken out, but the smell particles remain in the air. That's sort of Mm -hmm. what you're imagining here. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly the same, but essentially 
the idea that even when the object that's producing the result of trauma or terror is removed, in this case, a person, the mm -hmm. particles or particulates on a psychic level or even on a physical level, but like on a, you know, psychokinetic level, those particles and objects remain in the room. And mm -hmm. that's where the ghost hunters generally or the, you know, paranormalists, whatever they want to be called, step in because they have other non-physical ways of removing these memories these residual mm -hmm. hauntings yeah i think that aligns well with the general you know sort of like social scientific understanding of trauma and and the idea that removing the cause does not necessarily remove the effect you know treating the illness doesn't always treat the symptoms and treating the symptoms doesn't always treat the illness totally. um that these things are you know they're causal but um one yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, totally. And actually, that's interesting that you said that because also analogous to trauma theory, to social like understandings of trauma, it's believed that, well, a common theory, I guess, is that in residual hauntings, the paranormal activity has a trigger. Like literally, they're saying mm. it triggers it. So mm -hmm. the trigger can be a time of year, a time of day. It can also mm. be an event. So it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be, it's not necessarily that it's on a loop. It can also be like, maybe she coughed in her sleep, you know, maybe she had a lung infection, maybe she was a smoker. Like, we don't know what the, t what it was, but when paranormalists are trying to resolve these, a lot of the time, the first thing they do is determine what the trigger is. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you determine what the trigger is, you can find a way to remove it from the space. Like it, it brings mm. the memory up and thus allows you to remove it right mm. but also yeah, i mean no go ahead oh it's very in line with um you know a lot of psychology which is another thing i don't like hold on let me try to say that in a way that doesn't make it sound like i believe in psychology um just lowering my chair a little bit people who lower their chairs don't believe in psychology no uh that also i think is in line with um the way a lot of people see psychology and trauma, the idea that triggering a traumatic response um, is in the steps to reducing that traumatic response or understanding it further. Well, part, that's actually, it's interesting that you say that because I think that brings us into something else we were planning to talk about, which is the cultural anxieties surrounding these forms of haunting and what might give rise to these particular theories having popularity. Because a lot of these theories, the theories of like the stone tape theory, for example, that uh, ghosts and hauntings or tape recordings playing over and over again in an environment, those concepts were, are, I mean, they're ancient, but they're attributed in their modern source to uh, the views of 19th century intellectuals and psychic researchers mm -hmm. a lot of the mm -hmm. time, but a lot of them don't become popular in the cultural sense until the mm -hmm. 20th century. Mm -hmm. And I think that the most direct way to attribute that is the rise of certain technologies that allow for the capture of human likeness and image Mm -hmm. that can replay without the human being being in the room, which is a relatively mm -hmm. modern experience. Mm -hmm. And that also coincides with um, 
a lot of other ghostly phenomenon phenomena that we're going to talk about in other episodes. Um, obviously, the Civil War is a big one in the American imagination for ghosts and also for capturing experiences um, using technology. That's a huge turning point culturally for both of those things. Mm-hmm. And last time we recorded this episode... I talked about the the parallels of the pursuits of science and paranormalism or supernaturalology. <laughs> um, and you talked about the divergent paths of science and the paranormal as fields of study um, mm-hmm. and modes of understanding. And now that I've had more time to think about it, I I'm moving more towards your camp. Not that we were in opposition. We weren't disagreeing. Just that I want, I'm glad that I get a chance to re-express what I meant by that after listening to it. <laughs> well, um, what were we, can you reintroduce me to the, to the diversion yeah. theories? So you talked about how science and the paranormal were together for a long time. And in the Victorian era, which we will talk about in every single episode because it's such a crucible of paranormal thought and scientific development, in the Victorian era, you start to see the first divergence of paranormal from scientific, which you talked about when you talked about ether, which we can talk about mm-hmm. again when it comes to residual hauntings, because I think that's a really great point um i talked about how after this schism this victorian era schism between the scientific and the paranormal their paths as you know intellectual pursuits and modes of understanding have these strong parallels in two senses of the word parallel the first sense being they can never intersect again i mean they they previously were together but now that they've diverged they're running on a parallel path that can never intersect again because to understand one is to reject the methods of the other right um but they also run parallel because they are so similar for that same reason which is that in order to understand them you have to take this leap of faith of um, acknowledging that you yourself may not understand exactly the mechanisms of what's going on, but you choose to take the smallest unit of your under, uh, the smallest unit that you can understand and accept that as truth. So if you're somebody who is in science class, the first thing they write on the chalkboard I don't know what that would be, but maybe you're talking about the structure of the cell. And you know that while you can't perceive that yourself and pursue that yourself as much, you can see you can see it in the way that they're talking about it and you can understand that. And so you begin to engage in this campaign of, well, I've chosen to understand this um, because that's what I can understand. And that unlocks this vast expanse of knowledge and understanding and pursuit and creation and recreation of these scientific ideas. Just as in the paranormal, if you experience a ghost phenomenon or a supernatural phenomenon or, or you bear witness to someone telling their story of a supernatural phenomenon. Um, And here we see the difference in methodologies too, but you experience that 
choosing to understand that as being like, oh, well, I can understand this. So I'm going to move forward in this, um, in this method of, or this mode of understanding, then you unlock a vast expanse of supernatural and phenomenological uh, experiences, knowledge, curiosity, you know, um, various things that you can explore just as you can in science. However, this whole time, while these are so all, while both these pursuits are built on these units of alternating discovering for yourself and understanding and accepting something that you can't understand sort of back and forth, um, which builds you upwards in a zigzag, those can not, not, never can those be the same building blocks. So science and the paranormal are not destined to meet again uh, for a long, long time until something major changes about the American imagination. Right. I agree. And I think part of that is that, I mean, I think the basics of what we're saying is that current science can't prove that ghosts or the paranormal exist. Mm-hmm. And that seems so obvious, but mm-hmm. there is such a massive, I mean, massive body of experiential data and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what do you call it? Anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. that people see ghosts all the time. Mm-hmm. That it's very difficult if you're going to believe both those things are true, that science is entirely real and that ghosts are real, you have to find some way to square that in yourself because those are diametrically different mm-hmm. concepts of how the world works because science mm-hmm. does not and cannot explain ghosts. And for ghosts to exist, something about the current scientific theories have to be entirely wrong. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of just the idea of them being parallel in the mm-hmm. sense of two lines that don't meet. And Mm -hmm. I know that there are tons of people who are, say, Catholic and they're surgeons and they believe in God and they believe in ghosts and the afterlife and they also believe in modern medicine and science. I'm not saying that it's impossible to believe both. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that to believe both requires you to forfeit some aspects of belief in one or the other. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. To believe both to be equally true is contradictory because science says ghosts don't exist and ghosts say science is wrong in some way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people will say things like, well, ghosts or the supernatural are just science that we haven't invented or proven yet. And I think that Mm -hmm. that could be true but that also means that the current theories are inadequate or wrong. And yes, look, yes. Some, some people who pursue science do so in the hopes of proving current theories wrong. I mean, that's part of the scientific mm-hmm. method is that you are meant totally. to prove things wrong continuously. Totally. So it's not that they're forever impossible to meet or that they're diametrically yeah. opposed morally. It's just mm-hmm. that at this present moment, to be someone who tries to prove the existence of ghosts in science is considered <laughs> genuinely silly crackpot. I mean, yes, you know, ridicule worthy. And mm-hmm. that is partially because the existence of science requires so much the rejection of unsubstantiated or unprovable claims such as ghosts mm-hmm. and the supernatural. And I think mean, mm-hmm. I'm just rephrasing what you said, but I think that's really 
it's an important point to make in terms of this because we are talking about paranormal explanations and theories of ghosts, but it mm-hmm. must be understood that these ideas are ridiculed in the scientific community. Yes. Like, yeah. These are paranormalist journals that publish this. These are not considered mainstream scientific theories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this is something that we're going to come back to. This episode is our first in sort of a new little arc. We like to do our episodes in little packets. Um, and we're going to be talking about sort of how science is negotiating the realm of the paranormal in a mostly in a contemporary sense, but we'll keep coming back to this um, really dynamic era of the two interactions uh, in terms of like ethers and vapors. Um, Could you talk a little bit about ethers and vapors and um, how that sort of Victorian and pre-Victorian idea, uh, how that idea would uh, conceptualize and communicate the phenomenon of Emma Lazarus's death repeating? Yes. So the idea of ether is ancient. It's was proposed by Aristotle. So it's Mm. not, it's, it's a deep, it is deeply embedded in science, the idea of the ether. Mm -hmm. And it was accepted or at least debated as a major contending theory for the universe for a long time. So what ether is, Mm -hmm. the long word is luminiferous ether which means light bearing luminiferous i am literally changing my name right now i am on ny.gov legally changing my name to luminiferous ether it's a great name and that's part of why they held on to it for so long is because they were like Mm -hmm. we can't let go of the concept of luminiferous ether but the idea was okay i don't know how scientific to go with this it's a medium so the same way that um, gel is a medium for, uh, like when you do experiments in science class, if you're raising little worms, you put them in a gel medium. Luminiferous ether was supposed to be the medium that light traveled through. So Mm -hmm. because light seems to be wave-based, it wasn't supposed to be able to move through empty space. Mm -hmm. It seemed impossible that the world, like, obviously there's air on earth and you could consider that the medium through which light moves, but we can see the Mm -hmm. stars, right? Light is coming Mm -hmm. from other parts of the universe and it is empty space up there. There Mm -hmm. are sections of space which are empty. And so the ether was hypothesized as a, well, basically an invisible infinite material that does not interact with physical objects but it was Mm -hmm. proposed to explain the nature of light and throughout Mm -hmm. its existence there were many offshoots of the concept of ether but it's basically Mm -hmm. an invisible untouchable force through which we're all swimming that allows Mm -hmm. the universe to hold its characteristics to hold its shape Mm -hmm. and in 1887 there was an important experiment that basically suggested pretty definitively that ether did not exist Mm -hmm. this was a massive blow to modern science because Mm -hmm. even though people had been questioning it for a long time there was no dominant theory to replace it nobody understood how light could move observationally as a wave through non-existent space 
Mm-hmm. And then Einstein came along and the theory of relativity replaced it. Mm-hmm. And now that's why you learn physics about how light is both, what is it? It's both a wave and a particle. Uh, a particle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But ether beyond that has been used for lots and lots and lots of other theories. And one of them is ghosts. Mm-hmm. So because ether was supposed to be able to hold light, it was also supposed to be able to hold images. And so mm-hmm. the theory for a lot of paranormalists was that if you have, and this was especially prevalent as we discussed in the Victorian era, 1887 is when that was disproven. So, you know, mm-hmm. right around then, before then, um, basically the idea being that a person is leaving physical remnants of themselves trapped in this uninteractable, non-existent, um, infinite material that has no interaction with physical objects. Perhaps it has interactions Mm -hmm. with objects that exist on a higher plane because it clearly interacts with light. Mm -hmm. So maybe it interacts with images or interacts with psychic material. So maybe when a person dies, the same way that when light is shot out from something, it can move in a wave because there's an invisible space. Maybe when Mm -hmm. a person dies, their image is projected through this non-interactable space. Mm -hmm. Maybe the ether continues to hold these images after we die. Mm. And I think that part of what is so fascinating about that theory is that even though the ether is no longer an accepted scientific theory and has been pretty much totally discredited. A lot of these Mm -hmm. theories that we're discussing actually draw on it at a deep conceptual level. Mm -hmm. That's really important to point out. We talk a lot about, or I mentioned the American imagination and like this, the way that your understanding of even understanding is built on hundreds of years of like cultural and social elements that you don't even know that you're looking through. And this is one of them. Totally. So it's the way that people talk about like gender. They even have a hard time explaining the difference between gender and sex a lot of the time. And it takes a long time to kind of extract that idea. I think a lot of Mm -hmm. these scientific ideas are so baked into our understanding that it's hard to even differentiate them from just commonplace wisdom or natural thought Mm -hmm. but the idea that there is a material through which we all move that can hold on to things or continue to hold things when that dispersed you understand how the idea that a place itself like the walls and the floor hold on to an object stuck because it kind of is remnants of the ether right like it's no longer Mm -hmm. that there's an invisible substance through which we move that holds on to the world now it's that the object itself holds on to the world and that's what's replaying it. And mm-hmm. as we see a rise in consumer technologies that hold on to the human image and, you know, cameras and gadgets and eventually film, the anxiety about and the delight in the continuous preservation of an image long after the death of the person who is imaged or okay. whose image is recorded, now that disperses itself into theories of the afterlife. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be impossible to explain to people the idea that a tape replays after a person died, but it would be pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could understand it as the sun rising and setting, but it's not that's not the same idea. I think my conclusion that I take from this is this is really one of the first times that we've gotten into the underlying intelligence of hauntings. And it's something mm-hmm. that we'll continue to explore, but it's a really interesting and really important topic in 
paranormalism and ghosts Mm -hmm. because the intent of the presence very much determines the way that it is dealt with by those around it and yes is extremely determinative of its continued social life right of people continuing to believe that it exists interact with it deal with it Mm -hmm. and this is one of the most benign forms but it's also one of the most upsetting because there is something deeply deeply uncanny about the idea that you will continue to see your loved ones playing out their most painful moments but it's mm-hmm. not really them and you have no ability to stop it. In a way, it becomes a performance for those who are still alive, even though there's mm-hmm. no intelligence behind it. And I think mm-hmm. that idea is almost more uncanny in some ways than the idea that someone you love comes back to pass on an unfinished message or something. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. So that's our food for thought, I guess. Yeah, if anybody on the if anybody listening has psychokinetic power, I would love to talk to you. I have some place memories I would really like to place before it all wraps up. Yeah, I dropped a piece of paper um, between my desk and the wall, and my desk is bolted into the wall. So if anyone can get that out using their telekinetic or psychokinetic powers, that's really what I'm looking for. You got to call the paranormal department for that. Oh, I know, but they're really short-staffed, so I don't want to put more on them. <laughs> Shockingly, okay. they didn't want to come on campus. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. This has been the Phenomena Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for this um, first little foray into uh, science and ghosts. And uh, we'll see you next week for parallel universe theory of ghosts which is not totally different than what we talked about today but there's a lot more to get into bye guys thanks for listening thank you i can't tell you about where i'm at in supernatural now if that would help yeah it would so far the real thing that's happening is sam and ruby's relationship Yes. Um, they gave us a pretty gratuitous sex scene in the last episode. I thought personally. Was it the me, one in like, the abandoned house that's really dark? Yeah. I think about that once a week.